Hello, Magic is Real listeners. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I am very excited to bring you my guest, whose name is Travis Sanders. And I'll tell you a little bit about Travis. I came across Travis because I'm obsessed with this show called Psychic Kids lately. I don't watch a lot of TV ever, but if it has to do with spirituality, I'm in. And I was watching an episode and I was like, you know what? I've already seen this episode before, but I want to watch it again. And really the reason was that Travis was featured on the show and um, it was many, many years ago. He's just a little kid, but um, he wasn't a little kid. He was a teenager, but the warmth, the authenticity, this old soulness that radiated from him just really resonated with me. And I was like, I love this guy. He's so kind and just genuine. And um, I really want to know all about his journey as a medium. So I'll tell you a little bit about him. Travis is an accomplished clairvoyant medium. He's an author. He's a teacher who's been working professionally for over a decade. His work with Spirit has been featured on numerous radio and television programs, including CBS and Hay House Radio. And as we said, I'm sure he's sick of talking about it, most notably A&E's Psychic Kids, Children of the Paranormal. He's the author of the books, I Am Psychic, So Are You, Practical Mediumship, which I am totally ordering ASAP, and Guidance from Spirit. Travis was also named the new face of modern spiritualism in Hubpage's top 10 next generation psychics. What does all of this mean? Everything and nothing. Travis is just a soul on a journey with a passion, just like you. Thank you so much, Travis, for joining me here today. It really means a lot to have you. Well, thank you so much for asking me. Well, as I said, I was just charmed by you and your energy. And I know you've done so much since that show. And, uh, you should be recognized for that. So I'd love to start from one medium to another. I'd love to know about your background and your childhood, anything you're comfortable sharing. How this all kind of came about for you? Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting one. Uh, I don't know how I ended up here from where I started, but um, some people know I came from an evangelical background. I grew up Pentecostal. Um, I'm from Northern Ohio, so I grew up in cornfields cows and going to church and revival and stuff like that. So I don't think my parents were prepared for a psychic kid. Um, so things, I, I guess, retrospectively, I can look back and see how I was always really sensitive. Um, but I never really, because it, words like psychic or mediumistic or anything like that, you know, my family wasn't new age at all. So none of that stuff was sort of in our experience. Um, so I just thought I was the weird anxious kid for a long time. And I assumed that everyone like saw colors around people or had movies in their head or, um, you know, had the lights on the ceiling at night or, you know, whatever, whatever was going on. I just thought that's how people worked, how people's brains worked. And, um, it caused, uh, it caused some issues. I think my mom, uh, there was a period where when I was about nine or 10, um, my paternal grandmother died. That was the first real death. And then following that, there were sort of a string of deaths in the family. And I think twofold, it increased my sensitivity, but it also going along with that increased the anxiety. So I think my mom thought I was like, um, I don't know, abused or something in a way that she didn't know about because there was this kid who was, you know, somewhat outgoing who just became very like 
shut down and anxious and, and fearful. Um, but as I got a little bit older, I, I have always had sort of this deep inward pull to search. And somehow that led me to like occult studies and uh, in my teens, it was kind of facilitated by some out of body experiences where I had no idea what that was. So I was searching and as I came across some of these materials, I would be like, oh, this person is this, well, I do that. I see that. I, so I'm like, oh, I'm not a freak. I'm not broken. I'm not alone. There are other people who perceive the world in a similar way that I do. And um, the minute that I found that, it just kind of took on a momentum of its own. And that's the direction I pointed and that's the direction I've kind of stayed. That's so beautiful that you were able to figure that out at such a young age. I remember, I relate so much with being the sensitive kid. My child psychologist told my mom I was probably autistic um, because I felt everything. And he said, poor Shannon has such big feelings she doesn't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize then that that's, uh, that's being an empath, that's being a highly sensitive person and perhaps even a medium or psychic, not necessarily, but we are the ones that can sense everything around us, yeah. which is actually an evolutionary advantage, but it also can be very overwhelming Absolutely. in the world. And it yeah. can be overwhelming when the world doesn't cater to people like us. Absolutely. So it's wonderful that you found that out. And did you, it sounds like you had support from your family. Did you, I'm coming from an evangelical background, were they freaked out about it? Were they supportive about it? My, so, I, you know, I say I, I grew up in the Pentecostal church and I did. Um, my mom and her side of the family were more the religious ones. I think my dad's side, I don't know that they know what they believe. Um, so my dad's side of the family wasn't so much an issue. Mom's side, you know, when you're growing up in the church, everything's the devil. Um, yeah. It's either the devil or the Holy Spirit or, you know, um, but surprisingly, there wasn't as much uh, resistance as I think someone else who maybe grew up in the same way would probably encounter. I think my mom always knew from an early age, like I was on my own path, um, even though she didn't get it and she was always supportive. So, you know, like I, I tell a story a lot about, I left the church when I was 17 and um, at the, that was when I went, I was like 16 or 17. Um, I went to my first psychic fair and I didn't have my license yet. And I asked my mom, she would take me and she's like, I know you, you're going to get there whether I take you or not. So I would rather take you and know that you're okay. Cause I have no idea what this is all about. Um, so she's always been supportive in that way. That's so, that's really lucky. I know a lot of a lot of people who have these abilities are very misunderstood. They can be bullied and worse if their family doesn't understand because that's really isolating. I was fortunate that I didn't see spirit as a kid. I didn't even know I was a medium. So that wasn't really part of the equation. Do you remember anything specific about that time or just being young in general? Um, did you actually see spirit or did you just know things? Um, there was a period of time where... I would never see uh, bodies, like full yeah. forms. Um, I, I mentioned like lights on the ceiling. Um, I know a lot of times I would lay in bed in the, in the dark. Um, they would almost look like 
little Tinkerbell zippy lights kind of going around, or there would be like silhouettes um, that I would see in the darkness that you could tell were kind of person shaped, but they didn't really have any feature or dimension to it. And it was just um, kind of seeing those silhouettes and sort of just a sense of presence. Um, but really, I, I don't think there was a, a lot of conscious awareness of spirit until I got a little bit older. I think the majority of my experiences when I was younger was a little bit more psychic in nature. Um, and a lot of it was just the feeling aspect being like hypersensitive, but also, um, you know, I talk about church and growing up in the church. And ironically, that was where a lot of some of my earliest psychic experiences were. Um, you know, I remember being little and watching people in the pulpit and just observing the light and the color around them um, and just thinking like, oh, that's just how it is. Um, now knowing, you know, I was looking at the aura and seeing what the aura did and, and stuff like that. But um, a, a lot of it was just knowingnesses and feelings more so. The spirit stuff kind of came um, around that like 17-ish age. Um, and I was not prepared for that at all. How did that happen for you? I was taking a test in um, some science class that I had. And so I had a little bit of an awareness of what mediumship was, but um, I'd started, you know, kind of studying and learning and, and working that psychic muscle. Um, so I was taking this test, it was biology, I think. And there was this rush of energy to my left side. And I just knew that there was a man standing beside me and it was just this almost like a download of pictures, but I just instinctively knew what the pictures and the feelings meant. And it was my teacher's father. Uh -huh. um, and so I started to have a panic attack and I, you know, asked if I could use the restroom. I went to the restroom and I'm like, listen, I can hardly deal with living people right now. There's no way I'm prepared to start talking to dead people. Um, and it followed me, that energy followed me the whole day until I went to, it was her sister who was a teacher at the same school, but wasn't my teacher. So I felt mm -hmm. like if this person thinks I'm crazy, at least I don't have to sit in their classroom every day <laughs> for the rest of the year kind of a thing. Um, and once I gave the information, the anxiety went away. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of back, back off of this a little bit. Cause I don't know how much I like that. Right. And question for you, how did you know it was spirit and not your imagination or not just your imagination? I should say. I think in that initial, um, in that initial experience, it was so unexpected out of the blue. My mind was focused on something completely different and it was just tangible mm -hmm. that there was no way that I could think that it was coming from my own mind and I think a lot of times our experiences psychically or mediumistically in the beginning are like that and then once we know that that's a possibility or that's where you know some of the range that our perception is in then I think we start to question a little bit more okay now that I know that I can do this or can be aware of this is this me is this spirit and that you know discernment comes into play a little bit more but it was just um you know, it felt like I could reach out and touch it. Like it was mm -hmm. super strong. Yeah, I love that you said that because even I, as a medium, I think before I started studying it, I wanted something dramatic. Like you think, well, if I study this, am I going to suddenly be able to see apparitions right. or hear voices? And I knew that. 
wasn't the case. But I really didn't have an understanding of how subtle it is until I experienced it. And people are like, so like people ask me, so like the other day I was at the salon and my hairstylist goes, so as a medium, do you just like always feel spirit? And I'm going to ask this of you too. Like, are you always on? Do you always feel it? And I said, no, I don't. Now I do. (laughs) And I turned around to the other hairstylist because she said, well, she just lost her friend. And I go, Kristen, Chris. And she goes, Christian. And I was like, here we go. But it's, I said, I said, I don't always feel it I have to tune the train change the radio station for me I don't have I have to intentionally say okay now I'm going to shift and sometimes it's as simple as someone saying hey as a medium do you feel oh yes I do what about for you do you have to turn it on is it always present I think a lot of the times when I describe it to people um I describe it as on off but it really isn't on off as much as it is low high Mm -hmm. um and I think part of the reason that I had to get really good at that is because, you know, I mentioned to you when we were figuring out scheduling and stuff like that, I manage a metaphysical shop in addition to seeing my clients and teaching classes and stuff like that. And so for me, it was really important to have boundaries. And, you know, it's like, if I'm in shop, I'm in shop, I'm a shopkeep. If I'm in office, I'm a medium kind of a thing. So I think to some degree, it's always there. And the analogy that I use is it's like having a TV on in another room to where I'm aware that there's that that thing going on in the other room, but I'm not paying attention to it. But if I hear something that perks my interest, I can go in and turn the volume up. So um, generally, I'm not aware unless I'm like sitting down to sit for spirit or doing a session with a client. Um, I mean, and there's always exceptions to that rule sometimes a person's energy is just super strong or sometimes um, something catches my attention and I always think if it's strong enough to get my attention there's a reason so I'll like tune in and say okay like what's the you know what's the 411 but for the most part I live a very like it's very separated yeah that makes sense that's how I me too I don't think if I'm not on I'm not on um and so it, it and it's funny because I used to compare myself to mediums like you who I think I perceive to be, well, this person was born this way and really had that thing. I always thought you had to be born special or chosen to to have this gift. Now, some of us are born more sensitive. But as you said, say in your book, we are all mediums because we are all souls, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So talk about that. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things, because people like to throw the phrase around mediums are born, not made. And I think we just we took it very literally. And I think there's a couple of things we have to look at when people say that, which one, you know, some people have just a natural openness and maybe they train to refine that openness. Some people come in and they're like, I've never had a psychic experience of my life in my life. And then they surprise themselves that, well, Hey, I just have to kind of learn how to use the equipment. And so a lot of people feel like, well, if it's not there, there's nothing to develop, but what about the people who come in, take a class, join a development circle? And, and some people who are like muggles previously can develop into some really fine mediums. And so it's obviously there. Were you born? Yes. So you're a medium who was born. You're born medium. It may not have come online until later. Um, but the other thing too, I think when people say that phrase is, you know, back in the day where that phrase came about, 
a lot of the mediumship was more physical phenomena. And I do think that that's probably one of those areas where it is one of those things where you probably have that unique quality or you don't. Um, but like you said, we're all souls. So it's our birthright that we can connect with other souls. Yes. Yeah, that makes so much sense. What's your understanding of where souls reside? So when we die, mm -hmm. where do we go? And how is it that people like you and me are able to pick up that frequency and still communicate with the other side? Yeah. Um, you know, everybody uses the phrase, the other side. And um, to me, I think it is just as much a state of consciousness as it is something spatial. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about how it's all around us. It's just a slightly different vibration. And I think one of the things that I think is really beautiful in all the readings that I've done and all the spirit connections that I've had, I feel like a lot of souls, especially when they first transition or are newer to the, to the other side, um, they're perception, their experience is very much based off of what they need. Um, and so I don't always know if what they're showing me is literal or not, but I give it that way because that's the way it comes through where sometimes it's like this person's heaven is just a cabin in the woods by the lake, or this person's heaven is like, oh, they're helping kids or they're doing whatever. So I think it's partially what we need. And I also think it's partially the conditions that we take with us, our, our interior conditions that we take to the spirit world can kind of influence what that looks like for us. I agree with you a hundred percent. Having interviewed many near-death experiencers on this podcast, but also just from what I've learned and seen, what I'm shown from uh, people in, as, as you said, the other realm, which is actually not separate from us. It's just that there's a veil there so we can't see it because if we did, we'd go insane. And we also wouldn't learn our lessons because we wouldn't have that illusion of separation to force us to have to make choices and do the right thing and choose love and all of that. But um, it is really interesting. I once had a mother ask where her son was. He was, I mean, he had passed. And I just said, you know what? I'm hearing that Beatles song across the universe. And I didn't know the lyrics to it. I, I know it vaguely. Right. And she said, well, first of all, he was a massive Beatles fan. That was like his whole deal. So that makes sense. And then I'm like, well, let's look up the lyrics. If you look up the lyrics to that song, I'm getting chills. Um, that's how he described where he is. I'm, it, it's, I'm part of everything and everything is part of me. And uh -huh. it was, everyone obviously describes that differently. I've also had, oh yeah, grandpa's fishing or whatever, because that's right. what he liked to do. I, I um, have a friend of mine who passed, but I didn't know him outside of social situations. And one night I felt him come through. We were with, I was with his friend who had found him when he had passed away. And I just said, I think Joseph's here. And I'm like, why am I seeing golf balls everywhere? Well, and then I'm like, and I'm seeing like four leaf clovers or clovers. Chris didn't know what it was, but I asked his sister and she's like, oh, he was an avid golfer. Like, and like he was showing me golfing. Like he, I believed that he was not just saying I used to golf, but like I could tell that he was like, that's what I'm doing over here. And then yeah. she had also said something about our whole family's going to Ireland and we're trying to figure out the logo and it like if it's a clover on these cards, whatever. But I just kind of felt like 
he's still golfing. I can just feel it. I can just see him doing that in his own sort of dream. If right. that makes sense. Right. So um, what would your heaven be? Right. Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. My heaven would be probably someplace like Costa Rica, literally like as a place. Okay. But then it would have like the people that I love there with me. Yeah. What would yours be? Probably a library. <laughs> a light. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. if you have to be stuck somewhere or you're not, you're not stuck there, but if you have the luxury of spending a lot of time in a place. Right. It's like, yeah, just give me a comfy chair and a big stack yeah. of books. Yeah. I'd want to like go to Bali and like be with elephants and stuff and just like hang out in the jungle, hang out in the rainforest, but have the people I love there. And I think that when you do pass away, you do have loved ones with you. And this is what I'm going to ask you. Because don't you have people ask you, and I know I do, well, doesn't he, I miss him so much, doesn't he miss me? And I've said delicately, and I want to hear your answer, he loves you, but he doesn't miss you. And the reason is he's our, he's closer to you than he's ever been. Right. You're going to miss him, but it's not that he doesn't love you. It's that he doesn't feel your absence where he is. Does that make sense? What do, what do you say to that? I like the way that you phrase, they don't, it's, He's not feeling the absence in the same way. I think that's a really good way of describing it. Um, sometimes I use the analogy of like, you know, because I don't, people say like, there's no time over there. I don't know if, if that's entirely true, if there's a sense of time, um, but I know it's not the same as it is here. And so it, I kind of think of it like, you know, if I, I love my, my parents, I don't feel the need to, be by them every day I go and visit once a week or yeah. if you know if I had a, a partner at home or something and they went to work I'd be like oh my gosh when are you coming back this is so long I'd be like oh, I'll be home when this shift's over and sometimes I kind of feel like they think like ah, oh. you know to them it might be 80 years for me it's we'll be over here in a little bit yeah yeah Laurel Lynn Jackson the medium says that we're just living a stage play and at the end of our lives, we all meet up backstage. I like, it's like that. Yeah, and I love that too. I think it's true. It doesn't ease the pain of grief while we're here when you miss someone, but it is that knowledge that we're all going to go, well, I'll see you back there. We just have to finish my scenes first. And unfortunately for us that are left behind, those scenes are going to be, you know, 10 years, 20 years or more. And that can seem like an eternity. I would love to hear your take too on... Um, your job, well, our job is a medium and that's to show evidence that, and to comfort people that their loved ones are still here and to, in, a, in essence, prove not for the sake of doing a trick, but prove to them in order that they can feel comforted that their loved one really is still here and yeah. very much alive and very much um, understands what's going on. I also feel like so much of our job is actually a, to be a grief counselor, honestly. And how do you, I mean, really, I don't have a specific question about that, except how do you navigate that aspect of the job or how do you, just how do you feel about it in general or any kind of thoughts you have on grief and loss as it pertains to the work that we do? That's a good question. So I think there's a few different aspects to it. One is, um, 
One, I, I think even before a session takes place, um, I always want people to understand, I can hopefully in a session, there is a relieving of some of that grief, but like you said, we can never take it away completely. We just have, we just learn how to live with it differently for the rest of our life. And so if I can do something to help you live it a little bit more differently, a little bit more comfortably, then I feel like I've, I've done something good. You know, I always want to leave people better than I found them. Um, but the other thing too, is I think people, I like people to kind of be an acknowledgement of their grief before they even seek the, the session, before they even seek the mediumship. Um, now, I'm not one of these people who, because I think every soul is different. You know, some people, I, I just generally prefer kind of like at least a few months before they come to me because I want them to, I want the reality of the loss to have sunk in. I know some people who like two days after the funeral, they're wanting, they're wanting that connection. I'm like, you haven't, you haven't accepted the loss yet. That's going to affect this connection. So, um, and I've had souls come through in a matter of weeks. And sometimes I've had souls that have been on the other side for a long time and I haven't been able to connect. So every soul is so totally different. Um, but I also think too, I, and maybe this is my Capricorn nature. I'm not a super, um, I'm not a super emotional person, like in my personal life. And I think that that's actually served me um, because it keeps me from getting sucked into what my client's going through. And I think that sometimes we want to, we start seeing someone have an emotional shift. Maybe you say something or you give a, a specific piece of evidence and then our attention gets diverted because we wanna make sure that they're okay. And we turn our attention away from the spirit. And sometimes I think it's, okay for that person to sit in that by themselves and whether weep or cry or, or do what they need to do. Um, now, of course, if, if a person is in a state where they're like sobbing uncontrollably, I'm gonna be like, hey, are you okay? Do you wanna you know, press pause? Do you wanna move forward? But I think just letting someone acknowledge their grief and express it um, in their own way is, is kind of a good thing. I agree. It's actually my favorite part of, I love reading for all people and not everybody gets emotional because sometimes it's a loss they've made peace with. It happened a long time ago, or it was a friend and it, it didn't affect their daily life, but they cared about the person. Yeah. But it really, I find the most powerful readings are the ones where someone is in really does need that healing because, and, and I want to ask you about this as well. I was planning to ask you what you just answered, which is, you know, can you bring someone through when the loss is recent? Mm -hmm. Someone just asked me, her mother died and her stepfather. And I said, well, let's give it a few months. Yeah. Now, I said the same thing. I said, it doesn't mean the soul can't come through right away. I find I have more trouble mm -hmm. most of the time. I agree. But it's more about what you said, which is like, they need to process their grief. And sometimes, this is a theory I have, I'd love to know your thoughts. Sometimes I think the soul kind of intentionally leaves them alone to process their grief because if they get a connection right out of, like you said, two days after the funeral, they're just gonna wanna keep coming back to us over and over and over. They're not gonna have time to process this person's really not in this earth anymore. And it can become an addiction. 
of wanting to just constantly have that connection. And the thing is, they're going to have to learn to have that connection anyway with their loved one in spirit and learn how to have that, which is why you and I teach people how to do that as well. Um, But uh, I forget what I said I was going to ask you about. Um, But it was, but there was that question that I also had. So it's nice to hear you kind of validate what I've always thought too. It's not so much that the spirit can't communicate. It's about where the client is in their grief. Yeah. And even if someone, you know, let's say a few days after a funeral comes in and, and I don't know why they're coming. They just start sitting in my chair and we do get a link with that person. If it is so heavy, they might not even register what it is that I have to say. Because that grief cloud is so strong. And I do believe, and some people might disagree with me, but I do believe that sometime when there is an energy of desperation, you can actually kind of block it a little bit. Like this paradoxical thing that sort of takes place. I want it so bad. I have to have it. And then I think with me, I sense that desperation and neediness. And I just kind of like shut down a little bit because it's so overwhelming. So, and it puts pressure on you. Yeah. And that's, I was going to say, it's not just the person who might be desperate. It might be us. I've had moments where I'm like, I want my worst readings are for people that I know because I'm the pressure. I'm like, oh my God, they know people I know. What if they say I suck? What, you know, there's that nagging thing. Like this person knows me and this is my reputation. And what if it doesn't go well? And then we put pressure on us and we get in our head that's when the the read the reading starts to crumble. So I do think that it goes both ways with if the person wants to hear something so badly. I did a reading for a woman that wanted to hear from her husband. He was kind of being quiet. I was getting nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but your mother's here and she's really coming through with an apology. And she goes, I don't want to speak to that. I don't want to speak to her. And I said, well, that right there shows that you need to speak with her. And she's like, nope, not having it. And so the reading went nowhere because she wasn't willing to receive the message. So I thought, well, let me have another medium friend try to read her to see if it was just me. Yeah. Because we have a little partnership. We're like, can you try and just see? So I set up an appointment for her with him. And he's like, your mother's here. Like, and I just went, okay, it wasn't just me. <laughs> this woman wants to say she's sorry and heal whatever happened between the two of you. But as we know, Spirit says what they want to say. We don't get to have control. Can you speak on that, your experience with that? Yeah. You know, I used to think that my job was to meet the need of the sitter. And so if I'm working psychically, that's important because maybe they're, they want to look at their relationship or their job or whatever. But when it comes to the spirit world, our job is really to meet the need of our spirit communicator. And sometimes that means telling things that either they don't, maybe don't want to hear or, or don't like, um, or maybe they get communication, but it's not the person that they're looking for or whatever it is. And it's like, I just have to relay what comes through from them because once they're in the picture, that's who I listen to. Just the, just the deliverer, um, you don't have to like it. Just tell me if I'm, you know, if I get off track, just let me know and I can go back and kind of see where I went wrong. But um, that's my job. That's all of our jobs, you know, Um, it's just being that that voice piece for the spirit. And um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I follow and I'm having on my show a medium named Nicole and she goes by Nicole into a medium. Okay. She, yeah. You may know, I don't know if you know her, but she left, she did a, a post recently that really changed. I already sort of knew this, but I, but it just really snapped me back into confidence in my readings because I would say 90% of my readings are fire. 10% of them just flop and they don't work. And I know why, but I still feel like, oh, this person now thinks I'm a fraud or they, I suck or whatever. And uh, I have to shake that off. But she said, we are not working for the client. I mean, obviously we, we are, but like, because they're hiring us and we want to treat them with reverence and respect and care. But also she said, we are working for the spirit world. End of story. We don't get to control what they say. We don't get to control who comes through. We don't get to come control whether they come through or not. If they don't want to come through, they don't give a shit if we're going to fall on our face. Like, it's not about our ego. It's about if the spirit is like, I'm not going to waste my energy coming down for this right now for whatever reason, for whatever reason, which is always in the person's highest and best good. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. The other thing too, because like, you know, you, you'd mentioned, um, a friend that you kind of refer people to. And I think that's so important. I know that there are some people that come and like you said, sometimes you just have sessions that just don't work for whatever reason. And I always kind of like to reflect a little bit and just say, okay, did I show up? Did I do everything I needed to do? Okay. And it still didn't work. Then that's okay. Um, and I have, you know, a handful of people that if I can't connect for someone, I'm like, yeah, I'll gladly refer you. Me too. Um, because sometimes I, I might not be the best medium for that communicator, but maybe this person's personality is a better match to that communicator or whatever. So yes. if I gave it my all and I showed up and did what I was supposed to do, that's all I can, that's all I can ask myself. Yeah. Do you think it's more about your connection with the communicator or the sitter? I know there are people that I've had trouble reading and they're like, yeah, everyone tells me I'm hard to read. And I'm thinking, but you shouldn't be, I don't know, like, is it you that's hard to read or is there something going on spiritually or could it be both? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I know that sometimes like I'm a, a sort of a passive reserved person by nature. So when someone has a spirit communicator that is the opposite, it's very easy to kind of get into their energy because it is so loud and different from myself versus if I had someone who was like me in spirit, it would probably be a little bit harder for me to get that flow going a little bit. But sometimes too, you know, that question of, well, if I am linking to spirit, I'm not working psychically. So even if that person's energy is not a match to my own, why should that matter? But I think in, in to some degree, there's always a little bit of a psychic to psychic aura to aura link. And sometimes people just have funky energy or yeah. for whatever reason, you're just like, I don't want to open myself up to you. No offense. You're a wonderful yeah. person. I mean, of course you don't say that to them, but in your yeah. mind, you're like, oh, or no, or maybe you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and I'm just going to refer you to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's true. That makes a lot of sense. I think the people I noticed when I've had trouble reading someone, it's because they are very reserved or they're a little bit, not everyone that on the spectrum, but there's like someone I tried to read. I'm like, I'm kind of getting this sort of like spectrum-y feeling from her lovely person. But I was like, I just can't get there. And then another time it was this woman who's just 
more proper and reserved. And it's she she was very sweet and very receptive and was not upset. But I'm like, there's just something like, and it and she was Swedish, and I had trouble connecting with her loved ones. And I said, are your loved ones like very Swedish and reserved? You know, culturally. Yeah. And she's like, yes, because she's she did. And then it she also mentioned, I really don't know anything about them because they don't share. They never shared. So I was going, okay, what is this thing about bluebells? What is this thing? And she's like, no idea. So it's also maybe what the family shares. Culturally, they may not be people who are very open and and tell all their family stories. So you might be right, but this person's, it's not resonating. So that can be frustrating, not in a, like, I'm not angry with the person, but it can be frustrating to think maybe I'm doing something wrong. But like you said, have I done my job? Have I shown up? Have I asked? Have I prayed? And all the things, and sometimes it just doesn't happen mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason. And I'm now learning not to take it personally and say, I don't know why. It might be too recent. It might be there's a lack of connection between me and that soul. We're just kind of on different wavelengths. Who knows? But it's okay. Even the best mediums in the world, Mavis Patilla said, if you're 75% accurate, you're an excellent medium. I love her. I, I know, me too. <laughs> I know. And what do you think it is? My dad asked me this because my dad was a non-believer and now he's a believer. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, how are you doing this? And I said, and I kind of reserved, because he's more like reserved and conservative, I said, well, I don't, I mean, I, I, I can tell you what I think. Um, but he said, well, how do you know you're not just picking up on psychic stuff? And I said, well, even if I'm picking up on the psychic stuff, isn't that pretty miraculous that I can read your mind? Right. But what do you think? How how would you answer my dad's question? Like, how are you doing this? How are we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, that is a really good question, actually. And I don't, I honestly don't know if I have a, a concrete answer for it. You know, obviously, I believe that you know, we talk about on a psychic level, aura to aura connecting and sort of that transfer of information. And um, to me, the aura is just that emanation of our soul. And so souls kind of blending with us and using our own thoughts and feelings and stuff like that. Scientifically, I don't know as far as like the mechanisms, how exactly it all works. I just know that it does. Um, the one point too, of like his question about how do you know that you're not just mind reading? How do you know that it's not just sort of this telepathy of sorts? And that's why I love those readings where you give the information and they don't know, but then they yeah. confirm it later because that kind of eliminates this idea that I'm just pulling things out of your subconscious mind. Oh, and that's such back. a good point. Yeah. That's actually a really great point. I never thought about that, but yeah, how would I be doing that? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's so um, true. There was something else too. And if it comes back to me, I'll say it, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it seems to me that the, our bodies are just antennas or like our bodies are what allows spirit to speak, to feel tan tangibly, to feel tactile things, to see the world with our eyes, to hear through our ears, smell through our, all, all of our senses, to experience the world through this body, but in in truth, we're just these balls of energy and light. What is your, what would you say your, I know you're a spiritualist and I am too. What would you say your real belief is about what we are, where we come from and what we're doing here? I think in the 
simplest answer. I think we're all just kind of this, what some people might call God, like interacting with itself and learning itself and becoming bigger. Um, and people will ask too, like, it's the age old question. Like, well, what's the point of it all? Like, what's the purpose? What's the reason? And I think in a broad sense for everybody collectively, our, our part of it is just the experience. I think just to be here to experience the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the painful, the whole gamut, the whole um, you know gradient of experience in a, in a physical world. And I think on an individual level, our purpose is just kind of like, what are the, as a, as a spark of the divine, what are the qualities that are within me that are dying to get out? What is it that I, I want to just express and put out into the world and, and do that in whatever way that that looks like? I think a lot of times when people talk about purpose, they automatically conflate it with like a vocation. I'm like, no, you can go ahead and clock in at your nine to five every day. But if, if it is within you to paint, like that's when your soul expands and you feel aligned and connected to whatever it is you consider your higher power, that's your purpose. And it doesn't matter if anybody else sees those paintings or not, you are expressing what is within you to express. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think all of art is spiritual. I mean, not all of it's what we consider good, but I think any kind of like passionate expression that comes through us is, especially music. I mean, especially music because of the sort of geometry and the of, of music, like the math of the math of music and how it all interrelates with the cosmos and how people have near death experiences and hear music on the other side that they say is more beautiful than anything they've ever heard and studying the hurts and the vibrations of music and what they can do to change our um, neural pathways and, and things like that. Um, it's, it's incredible to see it expressed through people, even just seeing what people build, sculpt, paint. You're like, how did that right. come from your brain? Right? Like that's crazy. I mean, just the fact that people can write music the way that they do or um, create sculptures and just so many different things that clearly are so divinely inspired. Yes, it's the brain figuring stuff out, but it's also just this inspiration that you have to, like my mom said once to me, she said, if you ever doubt the, the existence of God, just look at a flower, yeah. how perfectly designed it is. It's just incredible. So Oh yeah, tell me what you were gonna say. I, was, I, I thought of the other point that I sort of came out of my brain here. Um, in regards to like the how and the mechanics too, I will say I do think that even though it is sort of a spiritual thing that's taking place, I do think that physicality does play a role to a degree. Um, my, you know, like my father's side of the family, I always, joke with him and give him grief of like thanks for the genes dad because like you know like I've been on medication for anxiety for since I was young um and all, him and all of his brothers and sisters had as well and for the longest time I thought that was like a curse like that was just like the worst genetic thing but I'm also thinking you know uh, later on I need a, a highly sensitive nervous system to do what I do. So if I didn't have that component as well, would I 
you know, is that a physical element of it? And how those two things join and, and work, I don't know. But I do think there is some some legitimacy to like a physical component as well. I do too. I'm I am on anti-anxiety medication. I have to be. I went off it a few months ago because I was like, you know what? I'm ready to just handle things on my own. And then I had a cross-country move, ended up having like severe stress and um, relapsing into muscle tension dysphonia, which is a vocal disorder that I, that's a stress disorder. And I'm a voice actor, so can't have that. But it's interesting you said that because I've been thinking a lot about that. Like sensitivity is my superpower mm -hmm. and my empathy is my superpower. And it's a, what allows us to connect with other people, whether you're emotional, as you said, you're really not. I'm very, very emotional, um, but it's, it's what allows us to connect. It's what allows us to sense the subtleties. It's what allows us to be artistic and creative and all of those things that I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. And yet there are times where it can be so overwhelming. I'm sure you understand where you're like, I can't live in this world. I can't live in this world. I can't handle it. Um, and that's when I realized, okay, Shan, you've got to just be back on medication. And there were times where I thought it's going to interfere with my mediumship if I take medication. It doesn't for me. Um, and I'm not telling anyone to do it or not. I'm just saying that if maybe I lived in a, uh, like a pre-technological age where we all lived in nature, maybe I wouldn't need predictably. But living in the world that we do, it can be extremely overwhelming, especially, do you also find that you get overwhelmed in group settings? Absolutely. Um, you know, especially to like when I was younger and didn't understand things like energy as much um, and, and in periods of my life where the anxiety was at its worst, you know, anything group-wise or large crowds, things like that were overwhelming. Um, and I still don't like them. Even though I understand today, I even understand energy and I understand, you know, being grounded and present and all those different things. It's like, I would rather nail my foot to the floor than have to be like at a concert or something. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I get very overwhelmed. And I was reading the highly sensitive person book and she talks about how we are very similar to people on the spectrum because we absorb every single detail of an interaction. So if I'm speaking to you, I'm also noticing your shoelaces or your eyebrow hairs or um, the tile on the floor. And I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just how I perceive the world. So we're absorbing and you and I are, as mediums, are also absorbing the other person's energy, maybe their spirit people's energy. Now, on, on, when it's happening, I don't think, oh, this is stressful. It's then I wonder why I'm burned out all the time. I wonder why I'm constantly exhausted. I wonder why I'm constantly stressed and why even just a little sound of an email coming through sends me into a panic attack. It's like one more thing someone needs from me. I can't handle it. And it's because we're constantly absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. Do you actually do any kind of grounding this for yourself? I do. So I think a lot of times when people talk about grounding, they automatically go to in their brains like, I'm putting my feet on the floor and I'm visualizing becoming roots. And like when you're in it and you recognize that you're in it, that is absolutely helpful. But for me, I always try to do something that's going to engage the body, whether that is 
walking, stretching. I haven't done yoga in a few years, but I used to do yoga pretty regularly. Um, and I'm also really big too on like, I'm, I, I think I would probably be diagnosed as OCD if I had an official person to diagnose me, but like I find cleaning and organizing to be very grounding because it gives me this sense of like, I am putting things, I'm compartmentalizing things. Um, so for me, like cleaning and baths, showers, um, sometimes just like walk through the woods or just do things that are completely what some people would see as like unspiritual. Like today I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna have a glass of wine and I'm gonna watch, you know, four hours of the Kardashians or whatever it is that yeah. you like. Um, as just a way of unplugging and kind of recharging my battery. Yeah, I think I think that there is room for that stuff for sure. Yeah. Definitely, that's 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 such a good point to be made that sometimes self care is just unplugging and doing something mindless and not being on all the time with our minds. I would love to hear about your work. I mean, just your work in general. Um, what does your I know you teach. I know I know you've written. And, um, and you also work with clients and then you also have your metaphysical shop, which is so cool. Um, I would love to hear kind of what it is. Well, talk, let's talk about your teaching a little bit. Cause I'd love to know what it is that you do teach and also share with people, you know, when they do work with you, what will they experience? Yeah. So, um, probably my two favorite things to teach is Every year I teach um, a two-day intro to psychic development intensive and then a two-day intro to sort of like the basics of mediumship um, intensive. And those are my two favorite classes to teach. But um, throughout the year, I also try to do smaller courses as well on just a handful of different metaphysical subjects, whether it be color and the aura or um, psychometry or you know maybe something about the, the energetic anatomy or whatever. Um, just because I enjoy teaching. I think even more so than readings, even though when I'm in it, I love it. But yeah. um, I think even more than the readings, the teaching is teaching and writing are like my two my two loves um, that I could never get tired of or never feel, you know, done or frustrated with. Um, and so when people come in, so like the psychic development class, I like it when people start there because I want them to know their mechanics. I want them to know how they're recognizing, um, you know, extrasensory information as it comes through. I want them to open up in a way that is sort of controlled and, and grounded and practical. Um, and then with the mediumship class, I really put a lot of emphasis on one, I, I do like to lay the foundation of like the background of spiritualism because you don't have to be, of course, a spiritualist to be a medium, but I, that's my path. So I always like to give people that information. But um, I think that there is a lot of misconceptions around the spirit world and what contact would look like or should look like. And um, so I just love those, I love the beginners. I love the, the newbies and um, just giving them a skill set with the understanding of like, okay, for six hours a day for the next two days, we're going to do this, but now it's on you to go forward. And I will help you as you go forward, but all of what we've gone over over the, you know, this time isn't going to amount to anything unless you sit with it and work with it. 
whether it's on your own, whether you sit with someone else, whether you join a development circle, um, but it's not like, okay, I've mastered it. I, got, I took yeah. my leadership class, now I'm a medium. Yeah, it took me, I think two years to get confident and that was meditating. I don't wanna say I meditated every day because I wasn't that perfect with it, but I did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditating, practice readings twice a week for free for like almost two years. I feel like a year and a half or, and it's not that I'm so like, oh, you have to be disciplined like me. I think that when you are drawn to something and you love it, it doesn't feel like work. It was so much fun. I wasn't like, oh, I have to meditate. Oh, I have to do readings. It was like, this is so cool. When you start to learn that, oh my gosh, I did get that hit. I am doing this. Um, but it becomes really exciting to see that even these, even now, it's been now like three years that I've been doing this work. And I know I have so, I still have so far, so much more to learn, but there, now it's getting more consistent where I'm like, yeah, like you start to learn the subtleties and that's what we teach is how to know the difference between your thought and spirit thought. And sometimes it's so similar. It's so, there's such a subtle difference. And what I find is it comes down to one thing. And that thing I have tattooed on my wrist, which is trust. <laughs> it's knowing like, no, I'm going to be right. Let me just like, let me tell you this, see if I'm not right. And then the more you're they're like, yeah, you're right. You're like, well, yeah, this, it, it gets easier. You just have to keep practicing. Cause at first you're going to fall in, you're probably going to fall on your face a bunch. You're going to have no idea what you're doing. And then you have to sit through that discomfort to be like, well, I'm not going to ever learn it if I don't do it wrong first. Yeah, I've noticed too, and I always tell students this, there's always this kind of thing that happens where especially if someone maybe feels that they're sort of a natural medium, they'll talk about experiences they've had and it was just effortless and easy. And then it's like they start actively working on development and they're like, I feel like I'm going backwards. I yeah. feel like, and it's because in the beginning, there's such a naturalness and that's great. We also need a certain degree of structure and so that kind of takes the naturalness. And then within that structure, we refine the naturalness. And like, it's gonna, it's gonna be a constant, hopefully, because if you as a soul are growing and evolving, your mediumship is gonna be growing and evolving and changing always. It's, I've found there's a correlation between what I know, which is acting, because I'm also an actor. It's the same thing. Okay. It's finding the naturalness, training yourself, and then untraining yourself to get back to who you already are. Yeah. It's, it's can be tricky because any good actor isn't really, doesn't look like they're acting. They're just being. Yeah. So it's like, you already are, you already have it. It's the, it's the Glinda, the good witch telling Dorothy, you already have, you didn't need the shoes. You've got it in yourself all along. And yet, as you said, there is a structure. There is a way it has to work, but then get out of your head. And that's the part where I got, had the biggest learning growth, I guess, learning curve, growth spurt is getting through that sticky point where it's like, now I have all this information and I'm in my head a lot. Cause I'm like, did I ask the question? Did I pray proper? <laughs> Whatever. Did I pray? Did I meditate? Did I ask the spirit questions? Um, I used to think I'd never be able to do a reading with my eyes open. Now sure. it's just, you know, now it's, I just felt like, how can I look at you? And also it's like trying to rub your <laughs> tap your head and rub your belly at the same time and it's like but once you get it it's like you take the training wheels off and now you're like oh I can just look at you 
or yeah. away as the case. I look a little bit away, but I, now it's like, oh yeah, it just kind of comes from a place in back of me and I just kind of let it come out. Um, I would love to know as well, you've read so many people by now, what is, what is the one thing or not one thing, but what's one thing that um, maybe stands out to you about what you've learned? What's a common theme? Like what's the biggest thing that spirit wants us to know? Again, honestly, there's, um, I would say at least 90% more of my readings, there's always an apology yeah. of some sort. And it's one of those things where it's not even necessarily something that I think the person's holding on to. But I think that when we get that broader perspective upon crossing over, I think we see what might've been shortcomings or whatever, and not in a way that's a judgment on the self, but it's like, I, you know, I feel like I need to take ownership of, I could have been more of this, or I should have done this or whatever it might be. Um, that's the big thing. The other thing too, is encouraging people. Like I get so many messages where they're like, okay, I'm over here. And it's, I'm thinking about all these regrets and stuff that I've had. Don't be like that. Like, yeah. you know, take the test, go to college, take the vacation, do the thing, just like live your life. Live your life is the, I agree. I get that a lot, a lot, especially because these people are in grief and it can get people really stuck, which totally understand. I can only understand. I mean, I've been fortunate enough not to lose anyone so close that it affects my day-to-day -day life. And I can understand that when you lose your partner, your child, you feel like that's it you may as well go. And yet spirit continuously says, it's not your time. You've got to keep living. And I know even if you have to fake it, till you make it, I'm here, I'm holding your hand, but you've got to finish out your time. And that's a big one. I get a lot. And I think cause I do a lot of widows, like, and also people who've lost children and it's that feel, yeah, that feeling of just, it sucks to be left behind. Those are the hardest ones. Yeah, uh, the hardest ones. Children. It's a loss that I hope nobody ever has to experience. I can't, I mean, I have no intention of having kids, but just that, that sense of what you feel for 30 minutes or whatever at a time working with that person. It's like, I would never wish this on my worst enemy. I, I know. And it's happened. It just recently happened to one of my best friends. I've watched it firsthand and, but I've already known and that's, everyone says that it's the most, it's the most difficult thing that anybody that's, that's this primal bond that's beyond anything. And I think that's why those are the people that come to me. I have the strongest connection with those souls. I have the strongest connection with for some, husbands specifically. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that like wives won't come through or, you know, partners, um, it's just, I find that when it's somebody's partner, when it's somebody's, um, child, they come through the strongest because that bond is so strong. And yeah. I, and so I've had clients come to me and I'll say, just so you know, I can't promise what happens. Although knowing it's your husband, it's, I can guarantee you it's going to be, it's probably going to work really well, which is, is just my experience. It's kind of, I have a little bit more trouble sometimes with, um, grandparents, I don't know why I don't know what it is if it's a lot of that generation was more 
closed, closed off. Um, not everybody, but there generations ago, people didn't open up a lot. A lot of that generation doesn't like to share their personal business. Um, if they're from like a couple generations back, there's a lot of stoicism and suffering and we just suffer. We take care of our family. We're not very emotional and we're not very open and loving. So I tend to have difficulty connecting with souls that are that type of person. Have you noticed anything similar or does it not really matter for you? I don't know if I have found a, like a specific type of relationship that I've had a harder time connecting with. Um, I have noticed that there are certain types of passings that I do connect more easily to for some reason. Maybe it's just the condition of our world today, but I know that I get a, a ton of people who accidentally cross themselves over. Um, and for some reason that seems to be very frequent, but there is something that maybe this is a something about me, I don't know, but um, those who almost feel like lost souls or tortured, you know, in life, who've, I don't know, I just vibe with them. <laughs> like yeah. I get a lot of those, they seem to come through really easily. Because they know you won't judge them probably. And they know that you have a little bit of that in your own mind, yeah. sort of misfit vibe. Like, you know, you might've, even though to me, you seem perfectly personable and lovely and charming, you know, mm -hmm. inside there's that anxiety and that sort of lonerness that I wonder if they resonate with. And on that note, I actually wanted to ask you too, what do you think about darker souls or negative entities? So I always tell people, there kind of seems to be two camps in, in the world today, which is there's absolutely no such thing and everything is love and light. And then you have like the travel channel saying everything yes. <laughs> trying to kill you. Right, um, right. I always tell people when someone dies, they're not automatically nice. And so, you know, and they don't cease to exist either. So someone who is a horrible, awful person in this world for a period probably still going to retain those qualities in the spirit world the key is are you matched to that like I tell people in my classes who ask that question well how do we prevent like a negative spirit I'm like are you a neg negative murderous evil person and you probably don't have to worry about encountering those types of souls if you are working from a place of service and love that's the only thing that you can absolutely get in return I love that answer because I always was more of like, I don't think that stuff exists, but now I, I hear more and more stories and actually Chip Coffee talks a lot about that on Psychic Kids. And it is funny because I know that's TV and I know that they do, there's that scare factor, the editing where it's like, like one of the kids, I like to just eat my dinner and watch an episode at night. Cause I've run out of all the other psychic shows. I've like watched everything and they're on YouTube. So I'm watching them and I'm like, I get it. It's produced. One of the kids goes, why do we always have to do this in the dark? And it's funny because you don't really have to, but it's for TV. It's like, let's take them into this haunted hotel, turn off all the lights, and we're going to have the night vision uh, camera on, and they're going to show like things falling off the shelves and kids screaming and running. And it's like, honestly, that's for entertainment value, I, I, you know, I think. And what I've always felt is most of these spirits are not there to hurt you. They're just... It's just creepy because you don't know who they are. It's yeah. creepy if you wake up and there's some figure standing over your bed and you don't know what it is or who it is. But yeah. in in 
they're probably watching over you. They're probably grandma. It's probably somebody just saying, hey, I love you. Yes. <laughs> just want you to know I'm here. What do you say about that? Uh, I love that you said that because I think of all these things where, um, you know, and which is why I don't go to people's houses. I ref refuse oh, yeah. to anymore um, because it's like, well, this happened here. And so then their mind gets in the way and then they start developing a backstory for the spirits and all this stuff. And I'm like, probably just your loved one. Yeah. Your attention. Um, and if you acknowledged it, maybe the, you know, the, the, thing would stop going off in the middle of the night or the lights would right. quit flickering or whatever. Um, but yeah, we, we have so much of that because of the media that I think we automatically go to that place of, well, I can't see it and I can't hear it. Therefore I should be afraid of it. Maybe that's a survival thing within us, like hardwired. Within yeah. us. But, um, I, I personally have yet to encounter anything that is, you know, horrible. Me neither. I've brought through a guy who was a murderer and was in jail, but he was there as a protector. Yeah. He had actually tried to murder his sister who I was reading. And I just, all I felt was, oh, he's, I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel bad in my own skin. I just said, oh, he's a bad guy. Like he did a lot of stuff. And he's actually coming through to say, I was not a good guy. He's not even apologizing. He was just like, yeah, I did some time. And I was like, he's telling me he was in jail. He's, she's like, yep. and he came through that way but it was very human it was and then it was more even though he tried to hurt you he's now sort of watching over you like he's now of like a protector kind of in the spirit world um and also acknowledging that yeah he he kept saying like i effed up like i i really did not choose the right path but he wasn't an evil spirit there to haunt anybody he actually was kind of like acknowledging what he had done and that he he's like hey i know you probably don't want me around but i'm letting you know i'm I'm watching, like I'm, I've got your back. So I, you know, what, what did not serve me in life serves me as a spirit, as a protector, because I've got that protective energy. Um, and I definitely agree with you that I've never felt scared at any kind of negative encounters with any negative beings. And I think it is, I'm, I'm sure I have back in the day when I was an addict and I was miserable and I was degrading myself. And um, I think when you're in those sort of dark, low vibrational states, you are attracting that low level energy. Not that anybody was haunting me or trying to kill me, but just I was in a dark, dark space back in the day yeah. and reaching out for validation and trying to escape my pain through unavailable people and through um, not so much drugs, but, you know, drinking and not, and just kind of abusing myself and my self-respect. And I think those are the times if ever I had an encounter with a darker energy, it would have been then. Right. That makes sense. And I like too that story that you told because it shows that, you know, it that that idea of we still have this free will when we cross over. And most people see the bigger, broader picture from this different vantage point, but we all kind of A, that personal responsibility aspect, but B, we still grow and change and come to those conclusions in our own time. Yes. And I yeah. like the, the humanness of that. I do too. In summation, what is it that you want people to know? That's it. That's my question. <sighs> That's a really good question. Um,
honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I'm, an honest I'm answer. Totally not sure. You know, it's, I would love to sit here and, and say, well, I, I just want everybody to know what life goes on. Like, I believe that. And I have moments where I feel like I shift from believing that to knowing that absolutely. But to say that I hold knowingness 100% of the time would be dishonest. Um, I think at the end of the day, like my thing lately for myself, and so maybe this is what other people might take something from is like, I look at the state of the world and we can like look at the environment and the political stuff and the Russia and all this sort of stuff. And it's so easy to get worked up. And it's like, at the end of the day, we're just hairless apes spinning on a rock in the middle of outer space. And we're just like a little teeny tiny blimp in eternity. So it's all going to be okay. Regardless of what happens, it's all going to be okay. That's That's what I'm telling myself anyways. Me too. And you know what? They say if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I know that people would argue with that, but what it means when we say it's all good, it's not minimizing pain. Like I, like I said, one of my best friends just lost her baby. That's the kind of grief. She just said, I'm never going to be the same. I'm, I'll never be the same. And I'm not, she said, I feel like I'll never be happy again. Well, it's not that it's not like, oh, don't worry. It's all good. It's like, it's all good in the sense that at the end of the day, we are souls. We don't die. And that at the end of this life, from my, like you said, I can't say I know this for sure because I'm, I will never know till we get there, but I believe with all my heart from what I've seen and what I know and what I've heard and what I've experienced, I know for myself that we don't die and that when we do die, it is all good. We'll understand it and we won't feel pain. We will feel love and nothing but love. We won't be bored on the other side. We're going to be actualized and whole and complete and we'll feel love like we've never felt before. So even if your life here is terrible and you've experienced the worst grief and pain, it's all good at the end of the day because this isn't the end. And so thank you for sharing everything that you you have. I just think you are just such a beautiful person and you're doing such good work for the world for other people and with such humility and I love that about you that's why I wanted to have you on so thank you for making time for me and for my listeners it really has been such a pleasure absolutely I'm glad you found me I love your energy I enjoyed our conversation I I like the um just the rawness of that conversational aspect so I've really enjoyed our time together thank you me too